Our next section of the chapter, 45, 16 to 28, 16 to 28. Now, when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father and come. And do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. 16 to 20 first is Pharaoh's household. 16. When the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. It pleased them because Joseph had done much good to the land of Egypt, and his family was foreign to them. They knew nothing of what had happened. Joseph probably just spoke uh, meagerly and less often about his family, probably just said, yes, they're from the land of Canaan, and probably did not say very much about them. But now that the family is restored to Joseph, and they're all pleased about it, as they could hear from the weeping, but also they heard the news, they heard a report of what actually happened. Then Pharaoh is pleased, and verse 17, 17 to 20, he supplies him abundantly, or supplies them, the sons of Joseph, with plenty of goods. Plenty of goods to give evidence of the fact that their future in the land of Egypt is a good future, that God will take care of them through the Egyptians. And not only take care of Joseph and Joseph's brothers, but Joseph's father, the whole clan of Jacob. Jacob, who's also called Israel. Verse 21, Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. The treatment to, uh, better treatment to Benjamin has to do with the fact that he is the one full son or brother that remains, and the youngest of all of them. And this would also give not only Benjamin encouragement, but Jacob encouragement to see that Joseph is caring for his brother Benjamin, both of whom lost their mother. And the money and the 
garments, all of that would be indicative of it. But also 23, And to his father he sent as follows, Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. This abundant evidence of provision would be something that motivates Jacob, because it does say in verse 27, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And why did it need to be revived? Because of 25 and 26. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed, he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Well, two miracles here. One, he is alive, still alive, because they all took him for being dead. That's the story that they uh, circulated, and perhaps they believed it by this point that he was dead. But no, he's alive. And not only is he alive, but he's the ruler of Egypt, just under Pharaoh. He's the ruler of all the land of Egypt. How in the world could that happen? But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. Right. Is this not a precursor to the coming of Christ? That the disciples... They would be discouraged for a short time, three days. And then when they heard the report that he had risen from the dead from the women who had first gone there, they were stunned and did not believe the women. Right. Also, the fact that Jacob thought that his son was dead, but he was actually alive and that he would see him. Even Jacob is, in a sense, like the disciples who does not have his son for a short time, and then he does see his son and rejoices in seeing his son. Also, Joseph is not only alive, but he is the ruler of all the land of Egypt. Christ is not only alive, but when he ascends into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the father, Joseph at the right hand of of Pharaoh, Christ at the right hand of the Father, and He rules over all the nations. And He rules forever. Right. Christ does. But after He's initially disbelieving, He believes because of 27. They spoke, the sons spoke of all the words of Joseph. That would give testimony and all the goods that he sent, the two together revived the spirit of Jacob. He was discouraged. He was also perhaps unbelieving because the sons had proven, at least in the past, not to be so faithful. But perhaps in recent years they were, and especially with this evidence, he's convinced by their words to go. And also in 28, he says, his name is different here in 28. You'll notice that the book of Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, though Jacob is his primary name, sometimes he's called Israel his secondary name. Right. The name that was given to him in 
chapters 28 and 32 of the book of Genesis. And uh, uh, 35, 28 and 35. 28 and 35 especially. 28, no, 28, 32, and 35. In all three chapters, his name. Then, he says, It is enough. My son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is the longing of a father to see his children and even see the children before he dies. To see them and to know that they are well taken care of before he passes out uh, of this world and into the next world. Well, let's look at a couple of more points here. In verse 24, verse 24, so he sent his brothers away and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. Why would they quarrel on the journey? Well, they had a history of having a dispute with Joseph. So it's not beyond them to have disputes with one another. Right. Correct? Also, now that Joseph is the ruler of Egypt, they still don't know for sure, because of chapter 50, when their father dies, they're still anxious about whether Joseph is going to punish them and completely forgive them. So they might be anxious about it and start blaming each other on the journey back as to who's at fault, so that if Joseph holds them accountable, one of them might be executed or imprisoned or something of that nature, not all of them, to blame each other for that. Or if they don't look at it that way, they're still feeling some guilt, thinking about what they did and how God reversed it all, so they should feel some guilt or remorse and start to blame each other for that. And also, to ensure, if he says, do not quarrel on the journey, he's trying to ensure that they keep peace with each other. Because families, siblings, they should be living in peace with each other. That's the ideal. That's the goal that we should strive to accomplish. Not only siblings, but siblings with parents, parents with their children. That's the way it should be. That's what we desire it to be. In fact, is that not what John the Baptist was commissioned to do in John or in Luke, Luke chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 15 to 17. Luke 1:15. This describes John, John the Baptist. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Hearts of the fathers back to children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. This is explaining harmony. And this harmony would exist and could exist if they all know Christ. Amen. That's the goal, or that is the premise, the premise and the goal. The premise is they know Christ. The goal is that there is peace and unity in the family. That doesn't always occur, of course. Like Matthew 10, 34 to 39, 
Christ says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That happens because they don't all know Christ and follow Christ. But if they do follow Christ, then there should not be any quarreling going on. There should be peace. And this peace is characteristic of Christians. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans 12, 15. Romans 12, 15 to 21. Chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all, as far as it depends on you. Right. As far as you can help it. Not transgressing God's commandments as far as it depends on you, but as far as it depends on you within the boundaries of the words of God. Right. And once you have done that, you have met your obligation. Now, this is also addressed in the book of James. James 3.13 to 4.12. James 3.13 to 4.12. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think 
that the scripture speaks to no purpose. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? A word of clarification, that last part in verses 11 and 12, when he says speaking against one another, he means maliciously, slanderously speaking against each other. He does not mean you cannot tell the truth to each other because, right. and, and then the one who hears the truth, he says, well, you're speaking against me, you can't say that. Right. That's not what he means. Because he's tell, telling the people the truth, this church the truth, He's not letting up. He's calling them adulteresses, sinners, double-minded. He's speaking against them. He's saying that they are proud, pursuing earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. So telling the truth is not speaking against your brother. But if you are doing it maliciously, jealously, uh, ambitiously, you're doing it in those ways, then it's wrong. That's what he means by speaking against. But remember... We ought to keep peace with each other. Yeah. That's what we ought to do in the biblical way. This is the instruction Joseph gives his brothers. A reminder. And they could use reminders. We all could use reminders. We all need reminders every day. Amen. Also, we saw at the end of Genesis 45, verse 28, that God is reversing the dire life and circumstance of Israel, Jacob. Jacob thought he was going to die never seeing his son Joseph again. Right. But God changed it. Miraculously, he changed it. Supernaturally, he changed it. His longing was a good longing, and then God blessed it with an unexpected turn of events. The longing... Let's first uh, uh, notice this longing of Jacob in Genesis 37. And let's see how it all turns around. First, Genesis 37, 29. And as we study what happens to Jacob, this is just an emblem of what will happen to us. God's prepared this for us. 37, 29. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. And he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. 
So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Then chapter 42, 42, 35, 42, 35 to 38. After Simeon is held hostage in Egypt and the brothers return, 42, 35. Now it came about as they were emptying their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. And their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. He alone is left. If harm shall be, should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. He's afraid of losing three sons and never seeing them again. All three. Then 43, 43, 11, 43, 11 to 15. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so... Then do this, take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present, a little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds, and take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man that he may release to you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and took double the money in their hand and Benjamin. Then they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. 46, chapter 46. In the next chapter, after our chapter, Jacob and clan arrive in Egypt and then we pick it up when they see, or when Jacob first sees Joseph. 46, 28. 46, 28 to 30. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. Right. Now I'm ready to die. Actually, he was 130 years old when this happened because of 47 verse uh, 47 9 says he was 130 years old. And then in 47 28, it says he dies at the age of 147. That means he lived in Egypt for 17 years. 
47.28 says he's 147 at his death. But before he dies, God blesses him even more. Yeah. Chapter 48. Chapter 48 and verses 8 to 11. 48, 8 to 11. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Your children as well. Well, this pattern of suffering first and glory second, a curse first, blessing second, this is the pattern of Scripture. Not that every time we suffer does God give us a double blessing or much wealth or many children or whatever we might expect or want. Not that He does it every time because sometimes faithful Christians live a faithful life, an afflict, a life of affliction, and then they are persecuted to death. Yeah. That happens to, also. But as an illustration of the fact that, generally speaking, Christians ought to or will experience a life of affliction first, and then affluence second, torment first, and then paradise second, that that pattern is a general pattern in Scripture. Let's not only notice it in Jacob, but notice it with others. Job. Job 42. Job 42. In Job's case, he first had abundance, and then he had affliction, and then he ends his life with abundance after a period of affliction. And we pick it up in 42.10. His restoration. 42.10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. Where were they? Where were they all that time when he was suffering? Okay, verse 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And he named the first Jemima and the second Keziah and the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. And saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Remember, Joseph had affluence for 80 years from age 30 to 110. And here, Job for 140 years after he suffered for a while. Psalm 30. Psalm 30, verse 5. The book of Psalms, 
30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Amen. And also verse 11, the same psalm, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In the book of Luke, Luke 16, Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, remember what happened in their lifetime? In their lifetime, Luke 16, 19 to 31. Luke 16, 19 to 31. 19 says, Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. (laughs) And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. And then they both die, right? Right. 22. Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross, from, uh, cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Amen. The rich man had luxury, but no humble, repentant heart during his life. Lazarus had no luxury. He had poverty, but now he is comforted. He has eternal life. The rich man is the void of eternal life. Now, and what's more important? Eternal life or this life? Eternal life. A reversal of circumstances also for all of us in reference to the disciples. uh, A lesson from the disciples and the rich young ruler. Matthew 19, 16 to 30. Matthew 19, 16 to 30. The rich young ruler does not want to separate from his riches because he loved his riches. Remember, he walked away when Christ challenged him. The disciples are amazed that Christ said, 
that it is hard for a rich man to enter in the, into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, verse 24, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. But also, 27, Peter speaks up about what they have given up in life. Verse 27, then Peter answered and said to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? They did what the rich man was unwilling to do, correct? Jesus says, 28, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, shall receive many times as much, and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The first in this world now, in terms of physical prosperity, will be last in the life to come. Those who are last now, in terms of physical prosperity, will be first in the life to come. That's the promise. If we are willing to live sacrificially for the Lord now. Suffering first, glory second. This is the doctrine of Romans 8. Romans 8, 17. Romans 8, 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Yes, we are children. Yes, we are heirs. Yes, we are fellow heirs. But what has to happen first? If we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering first, glory second. It's not the reverse. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.